What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here coming at you with another episode of our Big 12 and 30 Days theme. We are joined by Texas Insider for TFB Texas, host of the 4th and 5th and Five podcast, and creator of the subreddit for Longhorn Nation. Will Bazer is here joining us today, so I just want to say I appreciate you joining me today, man. No worries. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we got to start with this past season, man. It was a seven and three season, but the three losses were only by a combined 13 points. They were very close games that could have went either way. You know, they capped off their season with a dominant bowl win over Colorado. But did this season exceed, fall short of or meet your expectations? It definitely fell short of Texas fans expectations and mine as well. Every Texas fan coming into this year felt that this was the year to take over the Big 12. You know, you had Oklahoma on a supposed down year. Iowa State was, you know, not as great of a team as they've had been in the past. And the rest of the Big 12 was really down. Oh, Texas came in with a senior quarterback, a senior left tackle, a good, you know, defensive line. The only question you have was a linebacker, and then you felt that with uh, DeMarvian Overshone. So coming into this year, you felt like, wow, this is the year to do it. And to have three losses, one to TCU, one to Oklahoma, your arch rival, in heartbreaking fashion, both of those, and then as well, Iowa State, you couldn't really do that. You couldn't have that in this season. Maybe two losses at the most in that season, but other than that, yeah, it was just, it was a season that fell short of expectations. That's why you have a coaching change. Right. And so that was that gets into my next question. After the season, they move on from Tom Herman. Four years there, four straight bowl wins, a top 10 season in 2018. But in your opinion, what was the true breaking point for Herman in Texas? And do you think it was the right move for the Longhorns? I think the true breaking point for Tom Herman was probably either this past year in the summer where all of the um, the social causes, the social um, the, the social uprisings happened and sort of his response to it versus the response from the athletic department and the donors, uh, Tom Herman's inability to uh, really communicate uh, with the donors and to you know, he was, he was a very stubborn. That's, I think, was the downfall of Tom Herman was his stubbornness in general. So I think the downfall really started there and the year before. So coming off that Sugar Bowl, you're expecting something really good. And instead, they took a step backwards. So fans were already sort of in a wait and see mode with Tom Herman. And then the summer, the boosters fell off and he kind of bucked the administration uh, with Crystal Conte, and then he didn't back it up on the field. So if he could have backed it up on the field, he would have shut up everybody, but he didn't. Uh, his stubbornness in terms of his personnel decisions, his playing style, uh, his calls on the field, uh, you know, even his recruiting calls all kind of led to his downfall. He didn't really – I feel like he would argue this, but I don't – I think the main – consensus around Longhorn Nation is that he didn't look in the mirror and change things that other people could see were an issue. Right. And I mean, I know we covered it on our podcast, the um, 
I, I believe it, it the song from for blanking on the name of the song that Texas plays after the game. That was a big publicity scandal. And I've read that Herman was very vocal behind the scenes, which did sit well with a lot of the donors. I know they had multiple players come out. I mean, has that kind of died down around campus? And has uh, Steve Sarkeesian kind of commented on that same issue? So the eyes of Texas issue is the big issue that the Longhorns are facing after the players made some demands. Most of them were met and a lot of them exceeded, but the one that Texas kind of stood by and a lot of fans stood by and uh, is the eyes of Texas. Now I feel like the consensus there, unless you're part of the two extreme ends of the spectrum is, you know, if you don't sing it, who cares? If you do sing it, who cares? It's, you know, just deal with it. Right. But um, there are, I mean, there are obviously donors there who want the kids to respect it and took the Oklahoma loss and the picture of Sam and really kind of turned the eyes of Texas argument into the fire Tom Herman argument. And that's where it kind of started, kind of built up. I feel like the eyes of Texas was not the issue. It was more of the, uh, the reason they pushed it sort of like a, a way they pushed it, a way they pushed it. What they wanted was their agenda, which was urban Meyer. So, while Steve Sarkeesian comes in and he says, yes, you know, we're going to sing the eyes of Texas because he was told by Crystal Conte to say that, uh, you know, I don't feel like it's, it's probably still an issue on campus amongst different students, but I feel like it is a very much overblown issue uh, amongst most Longhorn fans. I feel like there's a census on, you know, yeah, we like to keep singing the eyes of Texas. There's obviously sides that's like, they need to force the kids to, say, to sing and stand. And there's others like, we need to get rid of the song. I feel like the main is like, keep it. And if you don't want to sing it, you don't do, do whatever. Right. Yeah. I was just curious on what like the tone was surrounding the campus, surrounding the program, but, you know, getting back to more on the field stuff, this marked the last year of Sam Ellinger. I mean, over 11,000 yards, man, over hundreds of touchdowns. I mean, he's going to go down the Texas record books for everything. What did he mean to the university of Texas? And just for you, where does he rank in Texas quarterback history? So that's a really tough question because Sam Ellinger's legacy is one where he basically lived out the dream of every kid who's ever grown up rooting for the Texas Longhorns and in Austin, right? He grew up, you know, wearing Texas burnt orange. He grew up going to the you know, going to the games with his father. And, you know, it basically if he was a quarterback for any different school, Oklahoma or Iowa state, if he grew up, you know, living in Des Moines and going, you know, wearing, wearing the red and yellow and going to Iowa State games and then going and becoming the quarterback at Iowa State, you know, everybody at Iowa State would love him. Same with Oklahoma, Crimson and Cream. They love him. He grew up in Norman. Like, he was the guy who is basically, you know, what every kid who is a fan of any program wants to be. They want to be the starting quarterback for their university and kind of bring them back to relevance. He did – kind of do that he and you know with the sugar bowl and everything uh but at the end of it you know and i really think that this is probably one of the reasons that tom herman was let go is you know not getting into the big 12 championship not ending off on a high note hurt his legacy at texas you can't say you know he's up there with colt mccoy and you know 
Tom, you know, Vince Young or James Street. Uh, um, there's one other guy I'm missing right now, number 22. Cannot remember his name for the life of me. Um, but you can't put him up there because, you know, he didn't have all the accolades. He wasn't an All-American. He wasn't – he didn't get you a Big 12 championship. He didn't get you really any championship other than the Sugar Bowl. And it's, it's really tough to say that because I like Sam Ellinger. I like the kid. He was, he was a great representative for the, for the university. You know, you never heard anything – any scandals about him? There was no, like, oh, he's an asshole off the field. He's a bad kid. Uh, you know, he got his, his business degree. You know, he's a smart guy. He's everything that you want as your quarterback. And the fact that he wasn't able to, you know, really prove it with a, with a you know, even trying for a conference championship in his last year, it, it hurts because – I wouldn't put it on him. I would put him on. I would put it on the the system that he was thrown into in his last two years, as well as some decisions from the coaching staff. Uh, right. So it, it really it, it's a cloudy, it, you know, legacy. People will like him uh, fondly for nostalgic reasons, for you know, the the heart reasons. But in terms of the brain reasons, he's probably not up there with the best of the best. Right. That's, that's, that's what I, I was, I figured it would go there. It's just, man, the statistical, all the statistical records and, uh, ac- like you said, accolades are there, but it's just like, man, he couldn't get over that hump. You look at it's like, man, there's so much left on the table, but due to the ex- exit of Ellinger, there needs to be a new quarterback one. And based on everything I've kind of seen, there's really only two options. Casey Thompson, Hudson Card, both bring unique unique skill sets to this Longhorns offense. In your opinion, who is in the driver's seat here, and what do you expect from each of these guys in 2021? That's the question, isn't it? Who is in the driver's seat <laughs> in this quarterback race? I don't. I don't know if I can really give you a straight answer because I don't think even the team knows. We're too early in right now in the spring ball to really know. I think Casey Thompson has to be, you know, probably a favorite right now because of his experience uh, in the game, his performances when he does does get thrown into games, or obviously the Colorado performance, but at the same time, it's a new staff and a completely new you know, just wiping the slate clean, right? Tabula rasa here when it comes to who's the better quarterback. It's, you know, Hudson Card has shown to have a lot more uh, potential when it comes to being a quarterback. He is, he throws amazing balls. He has a lot of athleticism, uh, but the problem is, is he's, he's young. That's it. Uh, So, really, Casey Thompson, the issue with him is he's not a great practice player. He doesn't really like blow. He doesn't blow your mind in practice. But when he gets on the field, a fl- a, the switch flips. When he gets in the scrimmages, a, a switch flips, and he turns into a completely different player, which makes evaluating him in practice extremely difficult for our coach, right? Because you don't know if that's really you know who who you really got on the field. Should you go with the freshman who can prove it in practice, or the guy who you know a switch flips in the game, and, and can he sustain that against better competition? Right. He did it against Colorado. Great. Can you do it against Oklahoma? Can you do it against Alabama, who's coming up in not this year, but the next? Can you do it against Arkansas and Ulala, right? Iowa State, all these different teams, right? So it's a huge question. I don't have an answer for you. I don't think anybody has an answer for you. Anybody who says they have an answer for you is lying. 
man. It, that's, that's what makes spring practice so amazing. It's just, you know, depending on who you talk to, you get different things. And they have a kid coming in next year who could very well start to Emily Murphy, who's also an outstanding recruit that they just got, they just had commit about a month or two ago. But Steve Sarkeesian, man, that is the new face of Texas football, hired from Alabama, had two stints at Washington and USC, fairly successful at times. But what was your initial reaction to the hire, and what do you think is the biggest thing that he needs to do to have success in Austin? My initial reaction to the hire was, really? Steve Sarkeesian? (laughs) Okay, fine. But I think so far I've been – I've, I've sort of started to buy into what Steve Sarkeesian is selling and, and more so what the athletic department is selling, which is Steve Sarkeesian really taking over the offense and him having a lot of help around him. I don't know if you've seen the assistant coaches surrounding him, but it is is quite the number of accolades there. You have Pete Kwiatkowski, who they took from Washington, who was maybe the second best defensive coordinator behind Brett Venables in the nation. Uh, coming out of Washington, we, you know, I saw him when we were doing this whole thing where we're looking for who could be the assistant coaches. You look at Pete Kwiatkowski, you're like, ah, this, this never happened. He's been there forever, and there's no way Texas could even pull him away. And then uh, the football brainiacs, our guy Super K, hears, well, you know, maybe it's a done deal. How the hell did they pull Pete Kwiatkowski from <laughs> Washington? That's insane. And your line, inside linebacker coach was Montana State's head coach. You pulled a D, you know, D one double A head coach to be your, uh, you know, your linebackers coach, and then you got Bo Davis on the defensive line, and he has so many accolades and so many players. He's already been at Texas, succeeded. Last time he was there was in two thousand eight and two thousand nine, that sort of season where you know Texas was really good around the defensive line, as well as you know your safety and your corners. That was probably the biggest question mark with Terry Joseph. And Blake Gideon, but Blake Gideon has shown to be doing pretty well right now. And Terry Joseph brought in uh, the Notre Dame style defense to marry with Pete Kwiatkowski. That's what Steve Sarkeesian wanted to do. Uh, Steve, and then on the offensive side, Steve Sarkeesian is your offensive coordinator. I mean, you see what he did at Alabama. We'll see what he can do at Texas right now because it obviously Texas doesn't have the athletes and the depth of athletes that Alabama does. So we'll see. You know how much was Pete? How much of it was? Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, how much of it was Alabama, right? But beyond that, A.J. Milwee has been actually a pretty good offensive offensive mind. Uh, There was a reason that Steve Sarkeesian brought him over. Uh, When you see what he did at Akron, he's one of those things where – he's one of those candidates where – or I guess hires that you look at and you're like, who's this guy? And then you look at what he's done and the offensive ingenuity he's brought, and you're, okay, I understand it. Wide receiver Andre Coleman, another question mark, but it seems to be working because the guy has proven himself at Kansas State, uh, the Tyler Lockett, and taking guys who, you know, three stars and turning them into NFL draft picks. So it was an emphasis on development there, right? He's actually starting to prove pretty good as a recruiter as well. You have the tight end position. You dropped a million dollars plus on um, – your tight end, why can I not remember his name off the top of my head? Uh, I should know this. He he has a monkey. He's dating uh, a, a dancer. Uh, I not remember his name. Uh, Jeff Banks. Jeff Banks. Obviously, 
brain fart moment right there. But Jeff <laughs> Banks, um, he is a incredible special teams coach, a incredible an incredible recruiter, and an incredible tight ends coach. He is a star as a tight end coach. He's a star assistant coach. It's amazing that they were able to pull him from Alabama and hold on to him. We we heard that he was going to be the coach, and then everybody was excited. Then Alabama said, no, we're going to keep him. And then somehow they are able to pull him away. So it was another celebration. And then you have Kyle Flood, who has just proven again and again to be a great developer of offensive linemen. You have a stacked staff surrounding Steve Sarkeesian. So – Steve Sarkeesian has a high ceiling, a low floor. You know, he's an alcoholic and you're always an alcoholic, whether or not, you know, how much you change. It's, it's like how I, you know, I have ADHD. I'm going to have ADHD forever. It's not something I can change. It's, it sucks. It's something that I have to live with and I have to control something he's going to have to live with and control, you know, all alcoholics and all people who have depression or ADHD or, you know, really any, any mental illness they have to deal with. So, if he can keep that under control while he's at Texas uh, and not let it get destructive, then, you know, kudos there. But there's also, you know, how is he as a, as a game caller, as a game, you know, dealing in the head coaching position. There's all those other factors as well. So I'll be interested to see how he does. I think the hire right now, it was at first, it was like, it's a B minus, but then I think with all the surrounding pieces, a minus B plus sort of higher. So maybe even going into a, just because of the star studded assistant coaches that he is around him. It's something different than what you had with Tom Herman or Charlie strong, who just brought in their G five staffs along with them. This, this one, they went out and got the best of the best cherry picked coaches. Right. And I'm interested to see how he does against Alabama, you know, in, you know, the upcoming seasons, I mean, no assistant coach has ever beaten Saban. That is the, Craziest stat of all time. So that's that's. And I'm not to expecting him to to change it either. Oh <laughs> uh, man, we'll I mean we'll see. But I mean, look at National Signing Day, man. It wrapped up a few months ago for the 2021 cycle. Top 20 class in the country. Five star Jatavian Sanders headlined the class. What were the biggest positional needs for the Longhorns, and who do you expect to contribute immediately? So one of the biggest positions of need in that class was your jack position, your linebacker who is more of a stand-up rusher or a guy who takes over the the flats. Um, they Jatavian Sanders fits to that, but he wants to be an offensive player. So we'll see. Um, and even then, he probably plays the weak side backer so that he's more of a pass rush and doesn't have to deal with the run. Uh, so they, they didn't really get a great fit there. Uh, you probably also wanted a a lot more offensive linemen. It was a all offensive lineman heavy class in Texas, and they missed on basically everybody except for Hayden Connor. Now Hayden Connor, I've been a fan of since boy, he was an eighth grader. Uh, that kid has been huge. Him and Bryce Foster, who went to A and M, uh, both big kids. I heard about coming into Katie. Taylor, when they were in eighth grade, the coaches were saying, like, yeah, look at this kid. He's an eighth grader. What? Who is that? <laughs> um, so, yeah, he, he was a guy who, who I'm excited about. But besides that, they really missed on the offensive line. Uh, and it's probably because, you know, coaching changes and Texas didn't do as well as they did. And there was a lot of controversy and, and bad news. It's really, really, really easy to negatively recruit Texas. Uh, it's, it's almost too easy. I could do it. 
It's it's that easy. Uh, I mean, like, who can't? So it, it makes it really difficult for a coach who's coming in in January to, you know, when the recruiting class is signed in December to hold on to those guys. Um, and even mm-hmm. then, it would made, it made it impossible for Tom Herman to, to have any chance at guys like Bryce Foster or, uh, you know, uh, Donovan, uh, Donovan Jackson who went to Iowa State. Any of those guys, kind of out of the question at that point. I mean, Texas had a lot of really, really good momentum in the summer, but it just faded away. So you need off as a line. You kind of miss there. Uh, and then you needed probably a, a standout wide receiver, and they had a shot at a few and missed out there as well. Uh, it, it, you know, maybe your quarterback as well, which they had Jalen Milrow, and then you you hired a new offensive coordinator. He wanted guys who were more pass happy than they are run happy. Got rid of Jalen Milrow, couldn't find another quarterback. So it was a yeah, sure it was a top twenty class, but it wasn't what you needed at Texas. It was a it was a re, it was a transition year class. Uh, they did do very well with their defensive line, uh, the guys up front, the big uglies. So there was, they did well there. They did really well at linebacker. They did need linebacker bodies. That was another need, and they really really knocked out of the park there, uh, which I think was to the credit of Chris Ash, who is going to succeed wherever he goes uh, as a defensive coordinator because that guy knows how to coach. And they they did well in the transfer market when it came to getting your outside linebackers and a cornerback. Darian Dunn is a guy who uh, shut down Tylen Wallace when he played Oklahoma state at McNeese state. So I think Texas is very good in a few different positions, but they lack bodies now at Jack. Uh, they lack elite, elite talent at wide receiver. And uh, they're, they have good top end talent at offensive line, but beyond that, it's a little, the depth is, you know, it's questionable. Like, you know, they have a bunch of new guys in there and not a bunch of guys who are like five stars. You have Tyler Johnson, but that's about it. Right. And I think wide receiver was an issue last year too. I mean, I think pro football focus had Texas rated like in the bottom five of the entire country and wide receiving talent coming in. And it also doesn't help that Alabama came knocking on Texas's doorstep, this recruiting cycle. I mean, they got the Brockermeyer twins. They got, uh, Jojo, Jojo Earl, yeah, they got, uh, like you said, Jalen Milrow. I mean, they dominated Texas, and so that's got to be tough. Hopefully Sark can turn that around, but I want to look ahead to 2021, man. I ain't going to lie, this schedule's tough. I mean, even the non-conference, if you, if, if, you don't know, if you don't know football, then, yeah, you look at Louisiana, Lafayette, and Arkansas, and you say, no need to worry there. But if you know football, those two teams were very, very – well, Arkansas was very improved last year. Losing to Lafayette was a problem for a lot of teams. Then you have road trips, TCU, Iowa State, West Virginia, all three tough places to play. TCU's had Texas's number for a few years now. What for you, though, is the ceiling and or floor for the 2021 Longhorns team? I – the floor or the ceiling for Texas, I feel like, is two losses. I feel like there are two losses in that schedule. Um, you know, you could pick any number of teams there. You have Iowa State is going to be good again. You have uh, TCU is actually going to be good with Max Dugan and, and Quentin Johnson. Oklahoma is going to be good with Spencer Rattler 
and, and another year of that offense, uh, basically everybody returning and run running back talent being infused with running back talent. Uh, and I'm not too afraid of West Virginia, though they are a good team. Uh, Kansas State with Tyler John not Tyler Johnson, um, uh, Skyler Thompson. Thompson. Yeah, Skyler Thompson coming in uh, is going to be actually a, a decent team to face. And then, obviously, yeah, you talked about it. Arkansas was on the up last year uh, with their coach, uh, Infusion, you know, coming in. So they're going to be difficult to face. And then Billy Napier at Louisiana has turned that into a G5 powerhouse. It's a really, really tough schedule. So I think the floor, obviously, is probably around four losses to Texas for Texas. You know, you could drop – any combination of Louisiana, Arkansas, TCU, Oklahoma, Iowa State, and even Kansas State. But I think the ceiling there, again, is is probably a 10-win season. I don't see them going out and winning 11 this year. Uh, I could I could potentially see 10 if things break their way, if they get the right quarterback, if the offensive line holds steady. They have, While I said they don't have a lot of talent, like high-end talent, they do have a lot of depth and a lot of guys who are promising at that position, especially with Derek Kerstetter coming back off of a broken ankle, which went backwards. Um, you have a really good defense and a lot of, a, a very veteran heavy defense in Texas. So I think you have a shot to win 10, but if things just fall apart, I could definitely see Texas having four losses. Right. I mean, and just, you know, in terms of kind of a follow up there, how long of like, uh, I mean, like, you know, the saying is like, how long of a leash does Steve Sarkeesian have? I mean, how flexible are the fans, the upper yeah. management, the donors going to be with Steve Sarkeesian these first few years? Flexibility is not known at Texas. <laughs> fans want to win and they want to win now, especially after he promised uh, that this is not going to be a multi year thing. He kind of came in and said, we're going to win right away. And I think he should have given himself some time because I don't think Texas is a job right now. That's like, Oh yeah, we're going to come in and win 11 games immediately. Uh, you know, you still have to secure your state. You're coming off a, a meh recruiting class for Texas standards. Now for every other, you know, if it was Iowa state and you got a five star, like Jadavian said, Oh my God, it's the best thing in the world. But Texas, yeah. you know, when you're facing, you know, Oklahoma who just raided your state and you're going to face, Alabama in a few years, you know, two years back-to-back, it, it's going to be really, really tough. You need all the five stars you can get. You need a recruiting class like what Texas is looking at in 2022. But um, flexibility, man. If he wins eight, nine games, maybe they'll give him another year to be like, hey, do better. And they kind of want to see a, a steady progression like this. If you do anything that goes down, then eh, you're, you're going to be in some trouble, Steve Sarkeesian, but that's part of the job at Texas. That's, that's part of the job description. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot <laughs> to deal with as a Texas head coach. You have a lot on your shoulders, a lot of people to please. And with, with the amount of Texas you know, graduates there are in the – prosperousness of this state. I don't know if that's a word. You know how uh, there's a lot of rich people. There's a lot of rich Texas graduates. And a lot of them, you know, 
take a subset of that and they think they're the most important thing. Take a smaller subset and they're they're also huge Texas donors. So, you know, they they kind of drive, but that's still a huge subset. And you have Houston, Austin, San Antonio, uh, Dallas, and, and Fort Worth, I guess, on top of that. And then you have the out-of-state guys too. So there's a lot. There's a lot of people you have to please and – meaning that you have to really be on your guard as a Texas fan. Like That's the reason that you always hear, oh, Texas donors are you know taking control of Texas because there are tons of Texas donors. There's not one Boone Pickens, right? <laughs> there, there's not one, one guy who you have to deal with, right? I mean, Alabama had the same problem for a while, but at the same time, you know, it, it, they, they, once you have success and once you have as much success as Nick Saban, you can tell the donors to, you know, shove it, right? You nope. can't, you know, nobody, Tom Herman tried to do that, but he didn't have enough uh, leverage to do so. The, he got the boot. Right. I mean, and I'm assuming just as an outsider, the success that Texas A&M is having is not helping anyone's case who's a Texas fan. They see what Jimbo Fisher's doing. TCU is on the upswing. I mean, SMU's even doing good and like the group of five. So the whole overall football in Texas is increasing. But, man, I appreciate you coming on here dropping all this Texas knowledge. This has been one of my favorite things to do is get all these people from all these schools to kind of give us the inside rumblings. But where can our listeners find you, man? I know you got a podcast, you know, got a Reddit, got a Reddit stream, all that, man. So where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. My name, Will Bazer. You guys can also listen to my podcast on the Hornscast channel. So type into any podcasting platform out there, the Hornscast, H-O-R-N-S, cast, C-A-S-T, uh, or follow us on Twitter at the Hornscast or 4th and 5, pretend we're football, any one of those. Or you can find us on Reddit at Longhorn Nation, our Longhorn Nation, or you can find our writing, my writing, and the, the site I work for, thefootballbrainiacs.com. Texas dot the football brainiac <clears throat> the football brainiac sorry just hit puberty dot com uh so that's where you guys can find find my stuff awesome man but yeah guys make sure to go check out will we'll definitely have to have him back on as we get closer to the season man hopefully Texas can turn it back around man and I hope Steve Sarkeesian has an awesome season but guys y'all know where to find us we have Kansas next up in our Big Twelve and Thirty Days. Y'all know you can find the two-minute drill Monday through Friday on our YouTube channel. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to have as, as much to talk about with Kansas as we do Texas right now, but, man, I That's appreciate a lot of controversy. it. controversy. That, that is true. That is true. It's, um, it, it's a play-by-play, guys, so I just don't know how deep we can get into all the controversy. So we'll we'll see. But, guys, y'all make, y'all make sure to go check out Iowa State, Oklahoma, K-State. We've already covered all those schools. But for myself, for Will, and the Blue Bloods, guys, we are out.